The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. If you have your Bible, if you would take it and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we have been and where we'll continue to be. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one in the pew there for you. You can take out 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've been looking at verses 11 through 21. Today our focus will be verses 18 and 19 should also notice uh, we'll be observing Lord's Supper together. You should have cups there uh, in front of you. I tell you, I, I keep telling you this, I, I tell you that early so that you can practice, get, the, get it ready. Sometimes it can be bothersome, I know, to get that bread out first and then the juice. We'll be observing Lord's Supper after the message this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, let's just read it all. That's what we've been doing. So we'll read verses 11 through 21. And like I said, focus on just 18 and 19 together today. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now again, today we're going to look at 18 and 19 in particular. That is going to be our focus, but it's hard to just look at 18 and 19 without the, without the rest of it and understanding what is, is going on. And so I hope you remember one of the things that Paul is doing is he's trying to kind of stand up for himself again because people were coming into the church and ridiculing Paul and, and really questioning Paul's authority because he'd been suffering. He's been through all these different things. And, and so these false teachers were coming in saying, look, we can't trust that God is on Paul's side because God wouldn't let all these things happen to him. They were really focused on outward things more than they were on on the inward workings of Christ. And so Paul's trying to defend himself a little bit in that. And that's, that's where we find it. And so it can be difficult at times. I said this last week, I'll reiterate it. It can be difficult at times to understand completely when is Paul talking about his own ministry and himself? And when is he relaying something about us? Like that is our ministry as well. And we'll get into that a little bit more this morning. But look at verse 18, how verse 18 starts. It says something really important. All this is from God. And we need to stop there because what is he talking about? All this is from God. What what is he stating? Well, he's talking about what happened in verse 17, which is a big deal. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what Paul is saying, he's saying all this is from God. This is a work only of God. The fact that one can become a new creation in Christ is only because of God. It's not something that we can do within ourselves. Only God can create newness. We can't do that. Men try. We try to do different things with creation, but we are not like God. We cannot create like God. And this is something that he alone does. And he does this inside a new believer, which is exciting. It's an exciting thing to hear. If you're here this morning and you've never really trusted in Christ or you're here just kind of wondering what all of this is about, I want to share good news with you. This, this morning, the promise is still there for you that you can be a new creation, that you no longer have to walk around this world with shame, with guilt, with embarrassment because of maybe things that you have done in your past or th- things that you have thought. You don't have to carry those burdens because what the Bible tells us is that God sent his son Jesus to die for sinners, to die for people who have shame and guilt and bad things in their past. But what Jesus did is he took that shame and guilt and he went to the cross and he died on the cross. The Bible tells us then he was buried in a grave, but that he rose again to, to conquer death. And so actually, again, for you, this is good news because you, through Christ, can become a new creation. All your sin forgiven in the work of Jesus. Now where we, sometimes we struggle with this is we try to do this on our own. We, we think that we can achieve, I don't know, some sort of satisfaction in the eyes of God by coming to church or by reading the Bible or by opening the door for, for somebody, which you can't do that much anymore. Most doors open on their own nowadays. But you try to do these different good things and you think maybe this is what will make God happy, but you've probably realized that it's a constant struggle. And you probably realize real quickly I feel I can't do enough to ever appease God, to ever get rid of this guilt and get rid of this shame. And you're absolutely right. You can't. There's, there's nothing you can do. And this, that is what Paul is saying. If you want to be a new creation, it is done through God. All of this is from God and he does this for you. And it's amazing to think that this morning that truth could be implanted in your heart and in your life by having faith in Christ, by trusting in him and what he has done. And then your guilt and your shame, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Because then when God sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son in your life. And Paul wants us to remember this as he's moving on through this passage. And when he gets to verse 18, he wants us to remember that all of this is from God and from him alone. And again, Paul can say this as somebody who's experienced it. Because remember, he was fighting against Christianity. He wanted to kill Christians. And while he was going to seek out more Christians, it was God who smacked him up aside the head, if you want to say, in a bright light, knocked him down, caused him to be blind, and would say, hey, why, why are you persecuting me? And it was God who would change Paul's life drastically. So that now, Paul, this is the same person writing, is the, is the guy who would say, all that stuff I did before, 
All the religion that I lived before, all the things that I did for God before because I was trying to appease him, I was trying to make him happy, that stuff was worthless. It was worthless. I don't count it as anything anymore. The only thing I count is the righteousness of Christ that God has given me, that God has bestowed upon me. This is the guy who is writing this. And so we'll see as he'll go on. He's going to go on to explain all this a little bit further in these two verses that we're looking at about how God has done this. Because the question comes up, right? How can a just God, if God is perfectly just, you know, justice is a big word in our culture right now. If God is justice, if if he's just in all these things, then how can he make his enemies into new creations? How can this happen? Because if, if he's a perfectly just person, and the Bible tells us in Romans that sin equals death, then the justice of God, what would make God perfectly just, would be that anybody who sins, any, dies. That's, that's a just God, right? That's a perfectly just thing. That's not how it's talked about in our culture. In our culture, it seems justice is you overlook and you just love lets things pass and love lets things go. No, that's, that's not justice at all. Justice is you disobey God, you deserve his punishment and his wrath. Well, what is that? Well, according to God's word, it's, it's death. And so the minute any of these little kids that you hear, and parents, you might, you might want to actually go through with this justice, what God should do is when they sin, they die. That's what should happen. You sin, you die. That's what you get. But yet we see God doesn't function that way, and there's, there's a reason for that, and we, we learn about that in these verses that we are looking at. One word that you'll have to remember, we've talked about this and we'll go to it, is justification. But today's big word is reconciliation. To be reconciled to God, Paul is getting at in these verses. So look, look again at verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you go on to verse 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 18 and 19 really are saying the same things. And so you can look at the first half of 18, the first half of 19 and put them together because he says through Christ, He reconciled us to himself in verse 18. And then in verse 19, not counting their trespasses against them, reconciling them to himself. So we have to wonder, what does this word mean? Why is there a need for reconciliation? What what is he getting at here? Well, let's think about it in our terms. I am guessing in your life at some time, at some point, you have had a falling out with somebody. I'm assuming I am assuming that is the case with with most people in here. Now, you might be the type of person, and I'm going to confess, you drive me crazy if you're this type of person. You try to appease everybody all the time, where you want everybody to like you all the time. Therefore, you take no stance ever on anything whatsoever. And so you would say, I don't know if I've ever had a problem. Me and you have a problem. So we'll, we'll talk about it later. Okay. And maybe we can be reconciled from this. But at some point in your life, I'm guessing, you have had to reconcile with somebody. Whatever that may be. Maybe you had a good friend that you grew up with, you went to school with, 
but you guys had a falling out over whatever it might be. You went off to college, you went to separate colleges, you didn't talk as much, you got mad at each other because you don't like me as much as I thought you did, Bob, whatever it may be, and then you don't really get along anymore. Now, maybe you've just let that slide, and those feelings are still there. Or maybe it took one of you finally to get on the phone, or maybe you ran into each other at a store, and you start talking, and maybe you worked it out, and you see that was that was silly, you know, that was, that was foolish for us. And you become close again. You become friends again. Maybe it was in some other type of relationship. Maybe you and your spouse or some of the people, you broke up eight times but always got back together and then thought it'd be wise to get married. It won't happen anymore. And so maybe you have that backstory with your spouse. You had a falling out, reconciled. Falling out, reconciled. Falling out, reconciled. Let's cement this in marriage. Sounds good. Right, let's move on. Maybe that's where you're at. Or we see one of the ways this is used in our world more so today that I hear it is irreconcilable differences, which is a grounds for divorce in our society. And what are you saying when you go to do that? You say, we cannot reconcile. The things that we are going through cannot be worked out. They cannot be fixed. The two of us can no longer be Together, there's no reconciliation going to happen here. I say all that just to get our minds kind of thinking about that word and what it means, because reconciliation really connotes what it tells us is that there's a, there's a state of estrangement going on. There's a, there's a problem happening. Now, sometimes this could be just from one of the parties. You know, you, you maybe have had a problem before with somebody and it's just eating at you and gnawing at you, and when you finally got the guts to go to them and to talk to them about it, they were like, I never even, what? I didn't even know this was happening. I didn't even know this was going. I, I apologize. And you realize there was only one party in this that was actually suffering and going through a problem. It wasn't the other one. But we also understand that reconciliation sometimes can be between two people. There's, a, there's problems on both sides and, and it needs to be fixed. So when we look at this in our case with God, because it says God came to reconcile us, well, why do we need to be reconciled? Well, actually, you might think, you might first think, the problem is one-sided, the problem is me. I've sinned against God, therefore I'm, I'm the problem here. But that's actually not true scripturally. It's on both sides. Because God, as I mentioned, is a just God. And he's a God of wrath, scripture tells us. And so, yes, we have sinned, and so there's a part of us that needs to be fixed in order to have a relationship with God, but also for God then to be just, again, for him to be just and pure and holy and righteous, then something also needs to be satisfied for him to have a relationship with you on his side. And it's something that we can't achieve. It's something, like I said earlier, you cannot do this on your own. Paul states it right off the bat. All of this is from God. And so we understand Man has sinned against God, right? We have done this. And we have to understand also, what I'm not, I'm not saying God is at fault. God is not at fault here. He has no fault at all. But like I said, he is holy, he is just, he is wrathful. And therefore, sinners need to be dealt with. The only person in our relationship between me and God that has been wronged is him. That's it. He's been wronged, not me. Think about it. God created me. God has given me over and over and over again. God sustains, yet 
I turn away. I'm, I'm assuming that's the same in your life. God created, God continues to give, God continues to do these things that you just simply don't deserve, yet so often in your life, you turn from him. He doesn't turn from us. And so because of God's justice, the sin has to be dealt with or else it would just simply be unfair. And in fact, it would be unloving. I want you to hear that. It would be unloving for God to just look away from sin and to just say, you know what, everybody, it's all right. That would be an unloving thing and an untrue thing and a very unjust thing for a holy God to do. And we see in Scripture that that's, he hasn't done that. That's why we have this word reconciliation. Because what God has done for us through Christ is he has reconciled us. He has solved the problem between the parties, between both parties. And it's interesting because where we see this, I think, the clearest is in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, which we went through during Christmas, during our Christmas season. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 11, listen with me. Paul would write there, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured uh, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. I want to stop there. Because what we've just read is an awesome truth. It's a really amazing thing to think about. That at the right time, that passage tells us that Christ would die for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? Me. You. The ungodly. But it says at the right time, Christ would come to die for the ungodly. He would satisfy that wrath of God on your behalf. I understand that. I don't know if you've ever been under the wrath of somebody, but it's, it's not fun. You know, if you're under the wrath of your coach, maybe, maybe you've been on a team like that where everything you did just seemed to be wrong to this coach and they just make you run and they get in your case. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody jumped in and said, I'll run for him. I'll take the punishment. I'll stay after and, and do all these different things that you're making him do. That would, be, that would be a great thing. And what are they doing? They are appeasing the wrath of the coach in your place. That's what's happening. That's what's taking place there. Well, what we see is what Christ has done is he has come and satisfied the wrath of God on sinners, on those who would accept Christ in faith. The wrath of God has been satisfied for you. So now you no longer have to face hell, face the second death that's everlasting. You are free from that. That is the truth that we have been given here all the way up to verse nine. And to be honest, it is an amazing truth. It's something that we could leave this morning, be done and say, wow, amen to that. that I'm so grateful for that. And that's good enough news to go out and to share with other people and say, I have some great news for you today. 
Did you know the wrath of God has been satisfied in Christ and you, you can experience that? That's good news. But Paul doesn't stop there because he goes on to explain. Then in verse 10 through 11, he says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So the situation that we face isn't this. It's not that you, you say, okay, God, I, I trust in Christ. I believe that he died for me. And God says, all right, you're free to go. I'll see you later. Go ahead. And you just walk out with a free pass. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, God's done something much better. He said, okay, you're free. Your sins are forgiven. You're justified by my son, Jesus. Now come here. Come here and let me hug you. Come here and let me walk with you. Come here and dine with me. Come here and and all these things that are mine are yours. We are reconciled. We are now family. The Bible speaks of it as you are adopted into the family of God. You are are his. So it's not just like your best friend, you call them up and say, man, this has just been hanging on me. I know I was mean to you. Will you forgive me? Sure. Well, can we hang out? No, not really. I'm busy. I live in Colorado. You live in Michigan. How are we going to do anything? No. But listen, we're fine. It's okay. You don't have to carry that guilt anymore. You're okay. It's not a situation like that. It's a situation like, you know what? I'll fly to you. I'll come to Michigan. Yes, I want to hang out. I'm going to be with you. I want to show you that, that I love you and that I care for you. That's what God has done for us in reconciliation. He, he reconciles us. Yes, his, his wrath is satisfied, but he then draws us in as sons and daughters. The Bible tells us he has chosen us that he sent his son for us, that his wrath has been satisfied for us, and then he changes us from enemies to family. From enemies to family. The question that comes to my mind when I think of this is, who else does this? Where else can you find something like this? Where else can you find teaching like this where where God has done this? Or, Or where have you seen this played out? Who of you this Christmas, you sat down and ate with your enemy? Raise your hand if you did that. Some spouses might say, I kind of did, actually. I'm not a huge fan. We, we don't do that. We don't do that. We might say to somebody, yeah, it's not a big deal. That, that, I forgive you of that. But that, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I want to be your friend. It doesn't mean that I want you to come in here and hang out with my family or with my kids. The only one who does that is God. And Paul, again, he said that in verse 18. All of this is from God. This is a work of God that he has done. But what is amazing is Paul's not done yet. Because yes, he justifies us, and he even reconciles us, and he calls us his own, and he but then he goes on and he says, but he also trusts us enough to give us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this is where if you study this passage and you go to people who I believe are smarter than me, 
Uh, there's a lot of debate and a lot of going on of who's the us. Who's the us in this ministry of reconciliation? Is, is Paul, again, talking of himself and the apostles? Is that his focus here, that they received this ministry of reconciliation, that they were out doing? Or is Paul talking about us as Christians, the whole family of God, that this is our task as a whole? Because it, it could be seen that Paul is talking just to the apostles and that they've been called out to do this special task of reconciliation. Some would even say, if you, again, if you study into this, some would even say that it's, it's actually the task of ministers and pastors, and that's what Paul is talking about here. That it's, that it's my job, that it's ministers' job. Now, I do think that's a good thing for ministers to hear often, for pastors to hear often. It's a good thing for you to hear to hold me accountable to. My job is the ministry of reconciliation. That is the task that I have, and we need to be reminded of that. And I think, to be honest, a lot of pastors seem to be forgetting that. We think that our job is community-driven or that our, our job is, I don't know what, to do whatever. Weddings, funerals, da-da-da, all these different things. Well, I'm not saying those are bad things. That is not the task of the minister. My job is the ministry of reconciliation, first and foremost. To let people know you are separated from God, but good news is he's made a way for you to be reconciled to him through Christ. Would you accept this reconciliation? That's my task, first and foremost. That's your task if you're a minister or a pastor in here as well. Now, I will say this, though. Whether this is for the apostles, ministers, or all cursed Christians, the implications here are very clear. And I believe they're found to be true in all Christians because later Paul would say, imitate me and all these different things. So I think this is a task for all of us as Christians. God has given us, as those who've been saved by his grace, the awesome opportunity to be able to share this reconciliation story with all people. We have good news. And we have good enough news that is worthy to be shared with people. When I look at the news today, there's oftentimes I go, why are they talking about this? Why are they reporting this? Why do I care about this? Why are, they wrote 500 words about X topic. It is ridiculous. And I think, why, why are they sharing this? They're sharing it because they're getting clicks. They're sharing it because they're getting likes. We actually have the greatest news ever told to mankind. And we have the privilege as Christians to share that with people every day. At any time, moms and dads, you have the privilege every night before you go to bed, before your kids go to bed, to share with them the good news of this. God has reconciled himself through Christ to sinners. You have the privilege to tell your kids that. You could read them some other book that has a good ending, that has a good story that makes people feel good, right? You can do those things, but I can promise you the best news you have to tell your kids, number one, you're a sinner. You need to be, you need to be rescued by God, but good news is he sent the rescuer, Jesus. And if you trust in him and if you believe to him, he'll forgive you of your sins. That is a privilege that we have as parents. Grandparents, that's a privilege you have with your grandkids. It's a privilege we have with our coworkers, with our family, and with our friends. It's life-changing news. Life-changing. You know, I, I got asked to coach a basketball team this year, which I don't know if it's going to happen. I shouldn't talk about it because I'm going to get really mad. But <clears throat> they made me go through all this training, 
all this information that they thought was so important to me. And one of the things they taught me was how to take gloves off. Did you know you had to learn how to take gloves off? I remember sitting there thinking, I'm getting dumber every second I watch this. Every second I listen to this. But there's a reason I'm sure that they have me watch this or have me learn how to do this. And somebody thinks that this is good news. Enough for me to have to listen and watch it. This is good, useful information. We as Christians have the best information. The God of the universe, God Almighty, has appeased his wrath on sinners through Jesus. And we have the privilege to cast that net out and to say, this is true for you if you will trust in him. We have been given this ministry of reconciliation that then should impact how we live and how we do things. I really just wrote two areas in our life of how if we really take the ministry of reconciliation serious, how it would have an impact on our life. First of all, I think we would cherish the relationship that we have with Christ. It would be something very special to us if we really comprehend what God has done for us through Christ. We would, we would cherish that relationship that God has given us to himself through his son. It would be a driving force in absolutely everything we do. Paul talked about it in verse 14. The love of Christ constrains me. That's what we're getting at. The love of Christ compels me to do this. It would cause us as believers to stay diligent in our understanding of God. We'd be diligent in trying to learn the love of God more and more and more in our life. I would dare say above all other things, we would cherish that relationship. I got to be honest, that's what breaks my heart. I've been wondering if God was going to give me a chance to say this, and I guess now's the time. That's what's really broken my heart about this whole COVID thing. You hopefully have seen the struggles of making decisions through COVID in all different areas, but also in church life. It's been really difficult to know when to cancel things or when to have things go back up, the whole mask fiasco, all this different thing. And I'm gonna be honest with you, we've lost members over masks and it's heartbreaking both ways. How dare you make me wear one or how dare you not tell people to wear one? And that's a heartbreaking thing to go through when you start thinking about that because of decisions that you are trying to make well. It's a heartbreaking thing to look out and to not see people that I'm used to seeing and to sit here and question and wonder why. Are they nervous? Are they scared? Or are they just floating away? Are they just being lazy? I don't have, I don't have that answer. But one of the things that's been gnawing at me that I've really been thinking about this whole time and wondering, and, and just, again, I'm, I'm just maybe to this point, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but a question that I have a lot of times for people now is this, is how important is your relationship with God? Do you go to work? Why? Why do you go to work? Well, I go to work to make money. Okay. Why do you need money? Because I need money to feed my family. We're not all farmers anymore. We're not all hunters and gatherers like that. Life has changed. We go to work, we get paid, and now I can buy food. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, do you go to the grocery store? Well, I call it in or whatever, and I'll drive and they'll throw it in my back. Or Yeah, I'll go to the grocery store, put my mask on. Why do you do that? Because I need to get the food. It's important. I would say, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with you in that. 
How's your spiritual health? Yeah, you know. Do you think it's worthy to come to church? I mean, it's worthy to go to work. It's worthy to go see family on and off. It's worthy to do these different things. Let me ask you this. Is it worthy to go to church? Well, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's safe. Okay. I'll grant you that, maybe. I mean, I'll grant you that if that's how you feel. But I really want to ask a serious question. How has your spiritual health been since February of 2020? And if, if that person can honestly answer me, well, Pastor Tim, it's actually been pretty good. I know we haven't been back to church, but our spiritual health actually is doing pretty good. We've been watching the videos. We've been doing these different things. We've been in constant communication with church members. We've been praying for people. And God really has been gracious to us through this and our family through this time. If they would give me that answer, I would say, okay, well, I look forward to hopefully seeing you soon at church. But my guess, my guess is that's not the answer. My guess is the answer is our spiritual health actually is hurting in my life, in my wife's life, and in my kid's life. And then my question would be, how much do you cherish your relationship with the Lord? Do you think maybe it's worth coming to church? Or maybe it's worth, if, if you're not happy with the things that we have in place here, there's other churches that have other things in place. Maybe, maybe you'd be happy there. Because you cherishing your relationship with the Lord is important. If this is true, that God has justified us and then he reconciles us through Christ, if God has done all of that for me, then one of the things that should be so important for me is my relationship with him above all my other relationships, above all the other things in my life. The most important thing in the world to me should be my relationship with him. And if that is falling, and if that is faltering, and if that is failing, I must ask myself the question, then what is going on? How do I solve this problem? How does it get fixed? Because I'm willing to break down walls for this relationship to be satisfied. I'm willing to do whatever I can because, God, I cherish my relationship with you. And so if it causes me some danger, if it causes me to lose some friends, if it causes me all these different things, I am willing to do it for you. I just wonder if that's all where we're really at. Now, again, I'm not calling us to be stupid. I'm not calling for those things. I, I respect that. I really do. I, I respect being smart. I, re, I respect all those different things. I, I'm just saying, if we're going to believe in this reconciliation, if we're going to take this ministry of reconciliation seriously, we're going to cherish our relationship with the Lord above everything else. I love my wife, but I need to love the Lord more. I need to make sure my relationship with the Lord is set before I can really have a good relationship with my wife or with my kids or with anybody else. And one of the things that I think has happened through all this mess is we've stopped doing what Hebrews tells us to do. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I don't say that so we can have numbers. I say that because God has given us the assembling of ourselves together for a purpose and it's to continue us to grow in our relationship with him. You say, Pastor, I don't know if you're being true. I think it's about numbers to you. Me and Pastor Scott just sat here just a moment ago before church started. And we looked around. I said, numbers are down today. Snow probably got some different things. And he said, you know what? I'm past all that. God will bring here who we bring here. I said, you're right. It doesn't matter who's here. We'll just keep being faithful all along the way. That's my heart in it. It's not about numbers. 
It's about the spiritual health of people. And are they cherishing their relationship with the Lord? But the second thing is this. If we're going to live out a ministry of reconciliation, then it's going to impact how we treat others and how we love others. That's why me saying what I just said has been so difficult. We care about people. We love people, right? I mean, we're supposed to as Christians. We love them and we care about them. And so we don't want to see people go. We don't want to see people getting sick. We don't want to see people getting hurt. I don't want to see people getting in fights over a mask or over whatever it might be. Some of the fights we've had in this church, I've had people tell me, Pastor, if you ever drive a foreign car into my house, I'm going to tell you to leave. I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're being serious. And so I've actually had that run through my mind numerous times. Like, I'm, okay, I need a new vehicle. I don't know, man. I, that's not an American-made car, and people in my church are going to be mad at me. I know we laugh about it, but it is the truth. They're going to be mad at me about what I did. And so how we treat others and love others will be impacted. Why? Because I want to see people reconciled to God. I don't want anything in my life to hinder that, a car I get or whatever it may be, something that I wear. I don't want to think that that would cause that to happen. And so like we talked about last week, Paul would say, we don't view them as fleshly eyes anymore. Or we need to view people as spiritual eyes. And that goes along with us as a church family. Right? We treat our church family well. We always try to reconcile with each other well. Why? Because we love each other. Why do we love each other? Because God loves us. And if God loves you, I love you. And I need to make sure I'm reconciled to you. I need to make sure that I'm united with you, that I care about you. I want you to see that. I, I want you to know that. And I don't just say that as Pastor Tim. I say that as MMBC member Tim. That goes for you too. We love each other. We're getting ready to take Lord's Supper. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 11, which I'm not turning there, but just one of the problems in that church is when they would take Lord's Supper, they were divided. And Paul would encourage them, reconcile together before you take Lord's Supper. I would urge the same thing of you. In a moment here, when we take Lord's Supper, don't crack that thing open. Don't, don't do it. If you have a problem with somebody else who's a member here that needs to be dealt with, it's important. Scripture tells us, how will they know that you love me? How you love each other. It's not talking about how we love the world. It's talking about how we love each other in here, how we care for one another. And so as Christians, we stay reconciled. We see each other through the eyes that God has given us in light of Scripture. But then also it does impact then how we see the world, right? Churches and Christians really should be the first place that the enemy is welcomed. Think about that. It's the first place where we should have sinners come. Why? Because they will hear about the reconciliation that God has given them through Christ right here. And so we shouldn't be ashamed as church-going people to invite our neighbors to church. No, because here is where they will hear the good news. Yes, you can tell them, but I would urge you, get them here. Get them here. Let them, let them see the love of Christ amongst ourselves. Let them, let them hear the love of Christ from this pulpit. And then let God work in their life. You say, yeah, but people might look at them weird. No, they won't. And if they do, 
church discipline needs to happen because that's a problem because this is the place where reconciliation takes place. This is where outcasts should come. And yes, they will feel out of place. They should, but we trust in the name of our God to do his work and to welcome them in so they're not outcasts anymore, but they're welcomed here. Listen, that's a dangerous ministry at times, I understand. It's uncomfortable. But as people of God, we have a desire to see people reconciled to him. I understand not everybody is going to accept this invitation of God's love. Even Jesus himself, when he would preach to the multitudes, people would kind of respond, and his response was, they keep coming to me because I feed them, not because I actually care with what I'm saying. I don't live in some fantasy world to think that all of Monroe County is going to be saved because of the ministry at Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. But that doesn't stop us from doing the ministry as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. I don't know who it is outside of these walls that God has a plan to open their eyes to the gospel through one of you. I don't know who that is. You don't either. But I remember hearing a thing before. And I believe it's true. I think it might have been Russell Moore or somebody like that. One of his studies said, the next Billy Graham or the next great evangelist or the next great pastor probably got drunk last night. Probably went home with somebody that they shouldn't. Probably isn't living the best life that they should live right now. Probably not the most holy person. But God hasn't gripped their heart yet. Maybe they haven't heard of the reconciliation that God has made for them through Christ. That's a task that he has bestowed upon us and blessed us with, to be able to go and to share the good news of the gospel with people in our world, to get them here, to hear it preached, to hear it talked about, to see the changed lives that God has. That's the evangelism that God does. That's the evangelism that God uses. You know, I really hope, I hope this really with every message. I don't ever want messages to be very, uh, I don't know what the word is. Heavy is what I want to say, but I don't know if that's right. When you leave this room, I always want you to be encouraged by the good news that God has given us through Christ, that he's bestowed upon us in Christ. The message this morning is good news. The message of reconciliation is an amazing thing to think about. The fact that God would allow us the privilege to share this good news with others and even work through us is astounding. So when we leave here in a little bit, I hope you leave encouraged. I hope that you leave excited. But I hope you leave with a heart full of compassion and love for those who aren't here. Not judgmental, but in a way that is desiring them to experience the love of God through Christ. Uh, Really, you know, the stuff I said, I I really have been debating a a while about saying the stuff I said about, you know, is it good that you're not coming to church? Is is it worth your spiritual, spiritual health? And I really do think some people are playing that balance right now, physical health versus spiritual health, and they're choosing physical health over and over again. I do think that is happening in some people's lives. But I'm scared to say it. I guess I've said it now. I can't get it back. But I was scared to say it because I don't want people to think I'm sitting there judging them or that I'm angry at them or that I'm mad at them. That's not the case. My heart burns with compassion for them 
Because I believe God's words tell it they're going in the wrong direction. And it's not worth it. The love of God should be our focus. It should be what we cherish above all things. It should impact our life in every single decision that we make each and every day. The love of Christ always on our mind, always our focus. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.